episode 75 of Board Games with Variant Hex is all about getting into board games. I'm Kelly, and in this episode, Adam and I talk about how we got into board games, why we play them, and how we explain them to other people. You may have heard the terms gateway games or welcoming games, or maybe even heard about gatekeeping. These all imply there's a certain pathway to get into board gaming. We're going with gatecrasher instead. You don't need to be welcomed, and if someone is gatekeeping, we encourage you to destroy that gate and invade. To get things started, we'll talk about how we crashed ever deeper into this hobby, and that discussion also happens to include our philosophical musings on the merits of Monopoly. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to Adam and myself talking about getting into board games. There's a lot of terminology like gatekeeping or maybe gateway games. Some people change that into welcoming games because they're trying to remove that kind of stigma that someone has to show you in, that there are people that are trying to keep, you know, new gamers out of the hobby. And we're sort of suggesting, yes, we are kind of sharing our experiences with the series and trying to give like helpful information, but really crash on in however you want. Don't wait necessarily for someone to welcome you. Don't think that there's some special gate you have to come in through. Do whatever you want, however you want. And we're talking about today, for this getting into gaming, how we got into board games. So, Adam. Yes. How did you get into board games? What is my origin story? Yes. And I mean, I was pretty much birthed into it in some oh. way. Like, I, I grew up around games. Wow. Yeah, a lot. Like, it was a part of the, the family dynamic. Okay. And even the extended family dynamic. You know, like family events, like holiday events, like the bigger thing. Yeah, yeah. There was regularly card games. There was going to be some amount of outburst or Pictionary. So, I mean, a lot of the activities centered around games always. Now, wow. not Twilight Imperium, you know, but certainly no. kind of your low level expected. I mean, a deck of cards was just always there and, and always in rotation. You could always play something for as long as I can remember. I think maybe the next level of that mm-hmm. was learn chess really young, mm-hmm. was a part of like grade school chess club. And went to like chess tournaments in grade school. And I think Mm. that was that next bump from recreation to seeing how gaming can be more competitive and Mm -hmm. kind of at a different level of things. And talking about games. I mean, sitting in a room, even as a child, when when an adult's like, okay, here's how you can strategize in these different scenarios. Just kind of starts wiring your brain at a very young age to think about games differently than just as fun. I was pretty heavily in the games as fun camp, I gotta say. Yeah. Was this asking? So when did you start? There were your... there were games around. The first, the earliest game I remember playing. So you kind of said birth into this. I I don't know about all that. I know there were lots of card playing games from like before, as young as I can remember. And I learned how to riffle shuffle really young. I had very small hands, and now not the case at all. But I recently kind of realized like am I still kind of doing this as if my hands are tiny? Like, I think I just learned how to do it with such small hands that like Mm. the way I grip it is kind of the same. So I think that there were a lot of cards going around, but I didn't really know what was going on there. Still very too young to really understand that when I was learning how to like riffle shuffle. And then the earliest board game that I remember playing was with my cousin. She's uh, eight years older than me. And I was maybe like four or five. And while Monopoly is a very family friendly everybody kind of game it's not really for 
four-year-old. So I imagine I was like kind of counting money and sort of. I knew that you, you know, the dice and the numbers and you go around the board and I never had enough money to do the things and she would give me Animaniacs trivia because I didn't have enough money to pay. I had a grand old time. I found out way later. She was like, oh, I was cheating constantly. And you know... I didn't, I didn't even care because I was just, you know, having a nice time with my, with my cousin. So that's probably my earliest gaming memory. We played regular Milton Bradley Parker Brothers sort of stuff. And there was a time when I was an early teen, maybe late tween, where my family would have like a weeknight where we like would play a game and order a pizza, maybe Blockbuster, because that's precisely how old I am. Mm, yeah. And yeah, it was kind of, and I remember that fondly, but I didn't get past that until I think when I met Aaron, when I met my husband, he had played Catan. Talked about that. I mean, I knew you from like kindergarten, but I we didn't ever play games like that as much as we hung out like in high school and stuff. We didn't ever play games like that. I really had no, that didn't just crop up anywhere. So I think because he had played that, he had an interest and we, we registered for board games for our wedding. And it was kind of like, oh, we're going to, you know, that's a thing we'll do. I had a friend, my roommate and her boyfriend at the time, uh, when we got married, we're like, oh, we'll come over. First, it was for a Bible study. That happened exactly once. And then we just played board games. It was like Seven Wonders, Ticket to Ride. So classic, what people often call gateway welcoming games. Catan, Ticket to Ride, Seven Wonders, Small World, Carcassonne. Like uh, those are the ones I remember playing a lot. So that was really when the modern board gaming started. And we didn't go beyond that for quite some time. And then that, my roommate and her boyfriend, that boyfriend is actually Jason, a part of Aaron Hex and sometimes on the podcast. So that kind of kicked off the gaming group evolution as it, uh, as it exists today. It definitely wasn't board games from like our whole, my whole childhood. So it was really pretty late. I've really come in hard since then. Yeah, you've, you've definitely caught up. Yeah. For sure. Oh, yeah. Made up some time. So that was how I got into kind of modern games. How did you go from chess into, which is a very classic game, but certainly not a modern one. How did you get into like modern board games, maybe Euro style games or German style games as they have been called hobby board gaming? So I took the long route, I suppose. Like I did every other kind of nerdy thing first. Like I was a big mm. Magic the Gathering person when oh, I was younger. Yeah. I was yeah. pretty into that. Um, as an adult, I was really into Dungeons and Dragons for really big for mm-hmm. the early part of my, you know, 18 to 22 on that. So I'm at the game store already for those things. Oh, okay. And you just see it all there. You know it exists, but it's not, it's not on my shelf. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I kind of swirled around board games until eventually, I mean, I think it was Sellers of Catan. I thought about this for a long time. And I think I remember buying it from the Game Preserve, I believe, you know, as I was there for some magic tournament or something else. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think I bought it with store credit or not, or for whatever reason. Yeah. And and then that's taken off from there. <laughs> and, and then it, you finally visited the last section of the store. If you had done yep. magic and then it had done tabletop, if you're at, at the game preserve, as I know it, the one that's on the north side here in Indianapolis, that's kind of working your way around the store. You're sort of, you just have puzzles left. Uh, I was just saying, I'm, I'm really saving up for the puzzle portion of my life. That's, that's right, the right. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. 
Nice. So moving on to our next question here. Why do you play board games? What are the benefits? You kind of talked about being in a lot of other kind of related hobbies. What, how is it different from those other hobbies? Board games is different because I play them with you guys. Mm. Honestly, I think board games, it's kind of the separating factor is it's kind of what we do. You mm-hmm. and me and Aaron and Jason. It's what we've done. Gosh, I'm going to get the math wrong by under a lot, I'm sure. We've done it for a long time now. Yeah, um, yeah. Gathering around a table. And mm-hmm. of course, we talk about our day. We do other things as well. But it's always been our the thing that sits between us that we're doing while we're engaging mm-hmm. in our friendship. And right. so I think because of that, it's what's made it board games awesome. And it's why I dove so deep into it. Both wide and deep. Right, right. Right, you know? Yeah. Right. As we started playing together more often, this was, gosh, let's not put a number of years on it. As that started, (laughs) as that started happening, I know there was a span, because I think that also for me, uh, maybe for all of us, corresponds with getting kind of deeper into it and spreading out. Like there were the games that we had all played. We'd all play Kadan, and then we played, I think, some related things to that at that point. Um, but we hadn't really got to the point where we were like discovering new games more often. And I know there were a couple years where we were playing every weekend. For a couple years there, we all of our gifts to one another were board games. So then when you go across all the birthdays, across four people, and then across holidays, like you can end up getting a lot of games in just in that way. I don't remember purchasing a ton of games outside that. I think I bought like everything cheap on Amazon, like everything $30 or under kind of on Amazon. And then we'd do these bigger games as purchases for uh, birthdays. And that was also, then you have the group to play it with. You have these occasions bringing you back together. I think that's another thing about having a game group of friends. When you do have a new game or there's something that you want to play, it's like an impetus to get together. And unlike things are getting increasingly digital. And this I'll say for me is a big benefit to playing board games. I just want time away from screens. I'm not big in social media, neither are you. That's not really the the only way that I wanna connect with people and certainly not the people that are closest to me. Being, uh, having a reason to come together, like quote reason and saying like, oh, well we have to have, we have to have game day. We have to play this game. It kept a regularity to making sure that we met up and just spent time with one another. And that definitely carried through in the pandemic. I talked more with you and Jason and deep in those friendships more in the pandemic when it was very easy for the opposite to happen because we did have all the time and then we kind of had to go back to screens to be able to play games. But like, so I think it's a little, now it's a little strange, like these with Board Game Arena, now you are coming back to a screen, but you're doing this hobby that still is letting you then communicate and like connect with people all over the world. Even though I say, yeah, I really like the analog part of it. And that's true. There's some ritual to like setting out the pieces that I think is comforting and playing actually in front and around a table. I still think that's really good, but when that's not possible, it still offers a lot of, there's still a lot to offer there and richness of experience. And I think gathering to do an event like that, that's engaging your brain and you're all, your focus is on that shared thing. I think that is also powerful and kind of different about board games. And maybe, I don't know, you think about other hobbies, 
How do you feel like that's different than... So, and this is actually your words. I'm going to say back oh, to you. Oh, awesome. Uh, so, yeah. It's some version of it. I'm going to summarize oh, fine, here. Because uh, I think you've done such a good job uh, of saying this in the past. So, board games are all in agreement. Oh. Right? When you sit down, it's all in agreement of these rules. Yeah. We all agree on these conditions. And yes, we're trying to do the best job we can. But I think it separates everything. Anytime you sit down and we all agree this is what we're going to do... Mm-hmm. there's just a different tone there mm-hmm. you know it's it's fun it's imaginative because obviously these aren't real world things right put this many pigs in the tree or whatever right. silly thing it is but we're all gathering and agreeing to the terms and yeah. then executing those things and so i think not a lot of hobbies not a lot of activities start with that we don't sit right. down and go over the rules and we all go yep that sounds great let's all follow these rules together and play this thing. I think that stretches out into the rest of the world. It, I would, this isn't really selling it, but I was going to say that like board games are like the best kind of meeting that you can have, but that's not, yeah. that's not maybe someone that's maybe helping them get into it, but that's not sounding super fun. But I think just that, like you said, or apparently, like I said, the fact that you've agreed on what you're about to do, I think for someone like myself with some, maybe a lot of social anxiety, that is comforting because like I understand I can I can know what's gonna happen next, kind of, and I can I know mm-hmm. what is within or without the bounds of what we're doing. And I think it does bring people together. If you just sit at a table and play a game, I think it is again focusing you more on what's similar than what's different. I think, you know, you go to conventions and things like that, there's a kind of shared spirit of cooperation, even if you're competing, and maybe it's kind of focused around that. And I like, you know, people often for big holidays, a lot of times the event is that you're gathering at a table with a lot of food and, you know, people that you want to, or maybe feel you should spend time with. And I think what I like about board gaming too, is that you still have that table gathering event, but it's not just solely focused on food. Sometimes those food holidays can be more about excess and kind of right. gluttony and because you've got a built up for this. And I think there's good things about sitting at a table and actually looking at those people and interacting with them versus, you know, sometimes now, again, everyone has a phone and things can just kind of fall silent and everyone can kind of come back into their own individual world. So right. I think oh, things like that that keep you opened up and connecting with other people, I think that makes it different. Because we think... You go to a movie with other people. You can all, maybe it's a little more similar to all reading the same book and talking about it. But like, I, it's a bigger commitment, I think, to get four people to read a book. The same, all read the same book with you. It's pretty easy. People always like binge a show and they'll talk about it. That happens pretty easy. But it's not the same kind of level of interaction. So as far as, you know, why spend time in this hobby versus another one, I think it's that connection. I think it also... You were saying about chess, you're you're thinking about these different strategies, and I just called it a really good meeting. I think it breaks its way into other places in your life, too. Like, the things you're picking up and learning, uh, how you're growing from making those connections, and how you're kind of experimenting with different ways of thinking, and maybe even sort of different roles that you don't really have, can allow you to see other possibilities in a way that still has tons of variety and is really fun. If you want to do only space games, you could do that and have more than enough to play. If you never want to do that, you can do that, have more enough to play. You can do all light stuff that's very casual and fun. You can do all deep stuff, 
we tend to just kind of roam everywhere um, in there. But I think also the variety of experiences available make it really flexible too. Oh, for sure. And I think that, I think being an active participant in the process is relevant, right? Like as opposed to other hobbies where again, reading or this, like no one's like, hey, the way you read that book, top notch, I was impressed. But like the way you play that game, whether you win or lose, Mm -hmm. I can be impressed with it or we can talk about it, you know? And And I've played games of strangers too, where then you stand outside for an hour and just talk with the game you just played and what everyone did. Right. And, and maybe that's more sports-like. Maybe that's happening with people oh, that do yeah. that. Yeah. And maybe I even, don't know. Maybe video games a little bit because you have a little yeah. more agency in how like this, this story is still going to go a certain way. The game's still going to have some certain rules in it, but maybe right. it's a little closer to that because you get to choose to go this way versus that way. You're not just carried along like you would be for a, like a movie or a book. Right, right. Yeah, you're not, it doesn't feel like you're consuming something. It feels like you're doing something, but not actually doing something. Right, right, right. And I think there is a creative aspect to it, too. You think about the hobbies where, well, one, if you want to customize your board game and kind of make deluxe components, you could literally be doing crafts. But I think there's something creative about what you choose to do, the kind of uh, imaginative, different themes and settings that there are as well so when you think about board games versus some other of those other kind of crafts hobbies there's a little bit of the same thing happening in your in your head there too not not as much maybe as yeah video games or possibly just regular sports not a very active hobby though i will say no but i think with that not being active it's really accessible to the largest group of people so i think that's also really cool you know you can sit down with just about anybody and play a game, you know? And right. I, so I think there's a value to it not being like that. The entry yeah. cost is pretty low in a lot of ways. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think, you know, you run into somebody on the streets, you're like, hey, you want to play bocce? They may say yes or no, but I feel like you see somebody with a board game, they'll probably usually want to play a board game. Like if they're sitting at a board game, I feel like I run into a lot of people where, yeah, you can join in on that activity pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And maybe I don't know all those high lie players if they're just like <laughs> super welcoming or not. But you know, right. I, I don't know. It, it just seems like it's really easy to jump into it as well. Once you are even in the beginning stages of it, people seem right. to be very welcoming to include more people. And there are a lot of, if you were to go into a board game store thinking about buying games, a lot of them do have like tables set up where you could play, not all of them. Oh, yeah. And now there's more and more like board game cafes where that's kind of the idea. It's a place that you can come and maybe have, depending on where you live, that could be a constraint to not really have the space to do it. I've seen, of course, people, you can play kind of on anything with varying levels of comfort. So there, you could play a game on your floor, again, varying levels of comfort. But there are a lot of board game cafes that allow you kind of more space to spread out uh, bigger, nicer tables than would really be worth having in your everyday life. And then you can also, I definitely like seeing like what other people have chosen to play. We take games to the coffee shop a lot and people will stop by. I'd say not not every week. Maybe at this point it's like every other week or so. Someone stops by just to kind of ask what we're doing and kind of what is this about? And I think usually they have a already have a general idea about board games and just haven't seen the one we're playing. Um, but we've often, often said like, yeah, the game preserve. Cause they're like, where do I even get this? And now... Target is putting alongside the regular board games. They're putting 
games that are more modern from other publishers from around the world. They're not just things that are kind of iterations on Uno and Monopoly and kind of the games you already know. And they also are things that aren't just the like silly kids games that often you see more often, but aren't, don't have much depth to them. But uh, I think for me, there's a definite mental health benefit in playing board games. And I feel like I don't have it fully fleshed out or fully defined. The discussions, like you were saying, the discussions that you might have after a game have also helped, you know, frame situations and give you language to talk about other things. I've said when we've played games before is like, at some point, I had to stop thinking about all the things and just think like, wait, how do I score victory points? And sometimes yep. that same kind of mental reworking is what you need in your life. Like, wait a minute, I what is the actual objective here? What am I trying to do? Am I getting lost in something that's not actually going to be rewarding? And how can I think creatively within these set of rules to achieve what I want to achieve? And then also kind of the freedom. I like to do things right and well. And I think board games, especially for me, solo games, give you a little bit of freedom to just try things and it not be perfect and kind of experiment and kind of open up to that a little bit. And it allows you to iterate like, okay, I have these rules. I'm going to do it better and better and better. It allows you to iterate in a way that I find soothing and uh, doesn't put as much pressure on me. Like I have to do it just right this time because I can, I can just do it again and again. That's not really the purpose of what's happening there. The whole point is that you're going to do this again. And that's a good point about actually, before we go on, the fact that you can play it again is nice, right? Like it's not, mm -hmm. you can take the lessons you've learned, come back to the table right now with a new set of skills, a new set of tools. So it does build upon itself when you replay. Ah, you don't even have to replay that game necessarily because that's true. There's similar, similar themes throughout games or similar mechanics. And I think, so you get that improvement over time. Mm -hmm. Like it'd be interesting to play a game with yourself from five years ago or 10 years ago, just oh, to see right. how different it is. Cause we probably don't even know how much better we are at games than we used to be. Right, right. And that's a good point that like the, not only are you meant to play it again, but there's a lot of shared, once you get a little more into games, when we were first playing it, everyone seemed kind of wholly unique. And that is still true to an extent, but the more you play, the more you kind of see, oh, this is taking a little bit from this game and taking a little bit from this game. So you start to understand those connections. So it's not even that you're, like you said, it's not replaying the same game even necessarily. It's replaying all games helps you learn these strategies and then you just have a bigger toolkit at your disposal. So when you're starting out, you may kind of feel like you just have a manual saw. And as you keep going, you've got like a power circular saw that you can cut through a lot more than you did when you first started. And I think that's one of the things that's harder. This is transitioning into our last one. How do you explain modern board games? And maybe how would you encourage people to get into them? Which I don't think we're going to try to do too much. Explaining them is kind of difficult because you're usually saying it's a board game. It's just like the board games that you're thinking of, except it's not like those at all. And I think a little bit of that is that how you have to learn. There's kind of this idea that you're gonna have to learn, which might feel a bit like homework, all these different things and hold on to those. As you do it more, you see that they're more similar and it doesn't really take that much effort every time you're kind of learning something totally about board games as you keep learning new games. But I think that's mm -hmm. one of the hard sells is 
how is it actually different from Monopoly? And it's like, well, it's it's not, but it also definitely is. And then right. kind of seeing when people see, come in my house and see like, oh, so you're like really into board games though. Right, yeah. Kind of how do you say like, oh, yeah. I guess it'd be the same if someone has maybe a full library of books or I also have played quite a few video games. I think it's similar to those things, but in some way it doesn't seem as usual or typical to like go to someone's house and discover that that's the thing that they have a lot of. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just because closets have doors and people are hiding their collections <laughs> well or... Right. Yeah, it's a good thought experiment. How can you reach people and, and how close do you want to stay towards board games? You know, because video games are kind of like board games. Do you mm-hmm. kind of go that way? But I kind of thought, you know, what if you went further than that where it's like, you know, fantasy football is a lot of strategy and like math mm. and like trying to take all these parts and pieces, yeah. make the best thing with it and then yeah. implement that. Well, that's half the board games we play. Yeah. And how many people are playing fantasy football that are not playing board games? You know, but maybe that's a way to reach. I think it depends on your audience member, right? So Mm -hmm. if you're trying to reach somebody that you know does that, find what, I think it's all about audience. Find what makes sense to them. Right. And I think you could always turn it back to board games. Right, right. Yeah, I, uh, we're at Aaron's family's house and our nephew asked, kind of, this podcast came up. And he's young, like he's, he is a kid. And he was kind of asking like, oh, what's the name of the podcast? And we told him, and it was also, I felt the need to disclaim, like, I don't, you know, not to be weird about it, but I'm like, I don't think you'll like it because like, we're really into board games in a way that like, I don't know how well that instantly translates. So when you're, yeah, when you're talking about like, how do you explain? I think my mom would be another, like, she would come over. We'd have these game days um, and we'd play for hours and she would come over and just kind of like see what we were doing. And she's an art teacher. She's a retired art teacher. And she really appreciates, I think, the splay and the artwork. That's another thing that really I like. If I don't like looking at the game, there's a good chance I don't like playing it. And so she would kind of see what we were doing. And I think she kind of sensed the value of what we were doing as she sat there and kind of experienced us, but she has never, she's played exactly one game. She played a fake artist goes to New York. And, uh, that was, that was it. And all, I mean, she's watched us play. I don't want to say 200 games, but like, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. She would just, and a lot of times we would cook food and everything. So I think she would see just the community and like the spirit and the camaraderie that was there. Um, but that's a, it's a lot to explain to someone like, we're going to have this camaraderie and it, it is board games like you expect, but I want to say that it's better than what you expect. And I think that that's maybe a statement that isn't quite fair. I think it is fair. Cause I would agree. I think yeah. I, cause I think in all things there, when there's that deepness there, right. You can go to a baseball game and watch a baseball game and enjoy it. But when you talk to people that have a true understanding of the history of the game and these uh, deeper levels of the game, hmm. they're watching a different game than okay. a person, let's call him Adam, who shows up in a baseball <laughs> game and knows nothing about it, right? So I think when you when you dive deep into something, it is different. 
Right. So would you say, and this also, again, we're both agreeing that it is better. So maybe this will be a fine comparison for us. How do you, how do you explain how Monopoly is different than Catan is different than Twilight Imperium? Like, right. Is it, I'm trying to think of what's the right kind of media, maybe comparison is, is Monopoly more like a summer blockbuster and some of these other games are like art house flicks that just have this nuance and complexity that is great unless you just want to see things blow up, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think you're right. The challenge is that let's use poker as an example, which is a game. It's Mm -hmm. close in there. You can go to, to Thanksgiving and play poker with your aunts and uncles and have a great time. And it's not super serious. Everyone's eating turkey whatever that is, right? But then you could also play that exact same game with a different group of people with a very different mindset. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what some of this is, is Monopoly, you can take a lot of the same parts and pieces. Yeah. With a different structure and a different group, it becomes a very different game right. on that. Right. And not that Monopoly is less than in the right environment yeah. on that, but you it, it can be so much more with right. like-minded individuals. This is a good point that even Monopoly, maybe it's not so much the it could be a little bit the game because there are also people that deeply analyze a summer blockbuster and will tell you that some of them are absolutely better than others. So maybe that's not quite right. But I remember uh, the last game of Monopoly I remember playing, which was ooh seven. It was it was a number of years ago, um, right. maybe not quite that far back. But in any case, I was playing with you and Adam, and I think my brother-in-law. And I never like I never wanted to play Monopoly because I played with Aaron uh, with some friends in college, and I just saw who he really was. We were still dating, and I did not care for it. I did not right. care for the way that he conducted himself in the transactions of the game. Cause you can kind of, you know, um, you can be setting up these, uh, what would you call that? Negotiations. And I, yep. I, I did not like how that looked. So it had been years since we'd played. We play Monopoly and I'm almost upset. Then this happens more than once. I'm upset that uh, you and Aaron aren't playing better because I'm like, you're not even doing a good job at this game because I had brought a lot of energy to it really years of being upset about how it was last played and just kind of taking advantage of people that was the issue I felt like why would you even bother taking advantage of people in this game and he's like why wouldn't you it's a game and then you can just have that exact same conversation in circles till the end of time um so I remember we're playing this game and I was like well I need to keep my uh brother-in-law I need him to stay in the game because of the however the way it worked like i was just feeding him cash to stay in the game because that was going to get you out of the game and i was already going to be able to get him out of the game whenever i wanted to and it was sort of like oh this is happening in the real world like right there's no way that this like oh well no i want to keep i got to keep this guy in business so that you guys in a business and once you're gone i will die will have no problem destroying him right so i think that even in something like Monopoly, which is the default, we say that so often, it's just the default example for a really well-known game and not a hobby board game. That's that's the only reason we keep bringing it up. There's not really anything else to that. But even in that, you can see that there are these more strategic underpinnings 
and things that are more similar to any other game on our shelves. Oh, absolutely. And I think, well, uh, you know, to Monopoly's credit, I think some of those, you have to have games that you can play with different people and to get mm-hmm. them into that next level. I mean, I think it's really tough to start off at a high level game. And Monopoly's See, been such a good game to get people into, I feel like, over the years. Right. And I can't, I think the answer might just be it's around. Because I think in Europe and maybe specifically in Germany, Germany but I don't know that. I think in other places in the world, Catan's just around. Like everyone, you just go in anyone's closet and there's a copy of Catan, kind of. In the way that in an American neighborhood, if you knock door to door and ask, do you have a copy of Monopoly? A lot of them are going to say yes. I So I don't even know, like, that's what I wonder. Is there really a welcoming game at all? Or is the welcoming game just the one that you want to play first i could see how someone such as myself who has an interest in someone liking games and liking more of them would be a little afraid i guess that if i start you out with a game you're interested in and you're like oh i'm really interested in this game can you help me or can you help teach me teach me will you play with me i might be like really fields of arl your first game that's that's the one you want to start with but I, I i'm not sure that it I'm not sure that it matters. That said, I think there are, that has a lot to do with expectations. There's that video of someone somewhat famous trying to learn wingspan. I didn't actually watch the video. I just hear about it a lot. And apparently they were just like, this board game is insane. There are so many rules. What is happening? I thought it was just a nice game about birds. And maybe there's some of that with the mismatch where if it looks more Monopoly-ish and then it's not, maybe that's the concern. I I don't know. I think I think there are what well, there's two different types of gateways we're talking about here. I mm-hmm. think there are gateways with adults and there's gateways with children, which I think okay. is a big difference. You know, like playing a game with a kid yeah. will have certain limitations. And I think Monopoly's advantage to some degree in both is that the fundamental rules are very simple. Roll the dice, go around the board, do what it says. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it's very, on the surface, very, very easy. I think it also teaches you so many important things about games. It teaches you mm-hmm. dice math to some degree. Mm-hmm. It teaches you how to evaluate a board and to see the most valuable parts. You learn very quickly in a game of Monopoly, I feel like, when you play it a few times. Mm-hmm. Not all properties are equal. You don't mm-hmm. want all properties, all points in time. How to evaluate a board by looking at it. I think it does teach you that. And that is, a, I think, an important skill when you go learn other games then. Not a lot of games teach you that part of it. Um, and so I think sometimes in that simplicity, it being around dollars, which I know other games are as well, but it's just easy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I get $100, I give $100. You know, it's very simple transactions mm-hmm. that l- do a lot of uh, groundwork for other games to come in and expand upon that. Do you think there's anything to that as well? Cause you're talking about getting money and then being a landowner and you know, the idea of monopoly. Do you think the theme of just like, I get to pretend to amass wealth is at all part of it or like, yeah, I, I think it translates very directly. What, again, if it's like, I got to get how many pigs in a tree, why do I care? We're like this, it's like, mm. well, this is already the lesson life is teaching me. So I'm just doing the same thing everyone else is telling okay. me, but on this game. So then I think we could say that the 
we're not going to keep going gateway. Where you crash oh, in right. is yeah. where you care, yes. is like what you care about. And I think that's a, a good point to say a lot of times in board games, you are have these completely arbitrary objectives. So if you don't inherently care about completing arbitrary objectives, I happen to usually like doing that. If you don't inherently <laughs> care about that, then why do I care is a very good question a very good follow-up question. And I guess for Monopoly, the why do I care is like, you'll be the, you'll, you'll be the richest one here. Right. And maybe the why do I care line of a game is the part that is going to end up attracting more people. So maybe what we're saying in those sort of welcoming or gate, gateway games, there are some games maybe that are more generally attractive yes, to approach. That's probably a better way to say that, yeah. More relatable right. to... Right, right. You don't have to stretch too far yeah. away from where you currently stand to get to that goal. To know what's going on there. Yeah. 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 So in that case, I guess what I, all of this is what I'm saying is, is it even worth, like, should you even bother explaining modern board games to people? Or should you just say, yeah, I like board games. Like Monopoly. Sit down and find out. That's what you yeah. should say. You're ready right now. <laughs> Chairs just fly in from the edges of the room. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a good point because once you play it, you get it. And I mean, even if you don't mm -hmm. like it, you get it. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, mm -hmm. this is what you're doing. Right, right. And I think more often, I think seeing people play games, for me, another point where I got a little deeper was Tabletop with Will Wheaton. And he would bring in four people and or three other people. They would sit around a table and play a game. And it was edited to be a little snappier. But it did a very good job of showing, even today, it's pretty timeless content. It does a good job of showing, like, the kind of fun that you are having. It's still a little more glamorized because they are still, like, YouTube people. I think there are some people who don't, well, definitely get it. Definitely want to be a part of it. Don't want to go any deeper. Very happy yeah. to have six games or so in their cabinet and play those six games to infinity. And it, do, it, it does not matter. Yeah, that's true. And that's a good point about the internet, like the YouTube source, being able to watch you play a game. It's not a thing that when we first started, I mean, I guess there was a little bit of it, but we didn't really no. have that in the same capacity. No, I saw some tabletop, and I think that was just because it was popular. Like, it just got bumped to me because it was popular. Through that, uh, Shut Up and Sit Down really came in right behind there. I don't know for sure that they grew on the back of Tabletop, but I I think YouTube was linking the videos to me. From there, yeah. I would search a little bit and see like maybe rules tutorial videos, like Watch It Played yeah. with Rodney Smith. I would saw that, and then I would kind of see reviews from the Dice Tower. And that was about it. When we started over the pandemic, we were like learning big games every week. We had a lot of time on our hands uh, to dig into that on the weekdays and then play them online on the weekend. And in looking for rules videos for those, I started realizing like, oh, Dice Towers, they're releasing things literally every day. They're like live every day. So it wasn't until I kind of was using those resources that I even realized any of that was going on like beyond i didn't know you know will wheaton had a show i did not know how much i didn't know anything about conventions nothing like that i didn't know how much was really going on i had a sense about gen con but i also thought that it was 
different than what it actually was now that I've gone. And in the past, you know, it probably was. Being able to see people play, and I think Tabletop does do a better representation of showing you what it's going to be like to play with a game that you enjoy with people you enjoy. There are some other ones that are very dry. And while that might look more actually like what happens, it's not it's it's not giving you a good example of the emotions you'll feel while playing it and how you will actually feel in the game. So you might someone might tell you about some game and you'll put it into YouTube and you'll look at people playing and it's like, well, they seem to be sitting very quietly and basically doing spreadsheets. That might be your thing. That might absolutely get you on board. Um, probably not though. So I could see how that could even pull you a little bit away. Like, ah, someone told me about this, but I don't even see what's happening. You know, you made a really great point there about playing games you want to play with people you want to play with. And I think maybe that's the best gate crashing element is finding people that you want to play with. In the yeah. same way, there's the phrase, no one leaves jobs, people leave bosses. I oh, can see yeah. more people walking away from games because of the game group yes. than the game itself. And, and you're right, we're doing a lot of time with the games, and I think maybe it's finding the person, not the game, or finding the people, not the game. Right. probably really important. Because we have absolutely, this is a good point, we have absolutely played games we did not care for and that is rarely even a, a deterrent. I have played, I mean, specifically, I've been upset at Aaron during many games, and yet I, I keep playing games with him, yeah. even because, you know, he's the company I want to keep ultimately. And that's like, I do want to be spending time with him. So, yeah, I think even, I, you could probably say that, you probably say that about a lot of things. The game itself, matters but it's really not the only it's really not the only thing yeah for sure so yeah uh go out to the world uh we encourage trying games it's brought us a lot of joy be be fearless about it charge into the night run into the darkness fear no it's, god or man it's getting <laughs> it's getting different it's getting different <laughs> but i think <laughs> what we're we definitely have very slowly crashed ever deeper into right. into gaming and that's why we are doing a series that's why we're doing this podcast that's why we are still playing things together and making time to play together to this day that's like it i think it's just too for me now it's too rewarding to stay out of it we've talked about like work benefits yeah. relationship benefits life benefits I think that's what everyone thinks about their hobbies. They're optional and they're often difficult. Like people are usually pursuing hobbies and trying to get better at them. And it's about what you get back for us. We're getting this deeper friendship. We're also talking about charging to the night, I guess. I think maybe there's the sense of, (laughs) I think we're passionate about encouraging people to crash in and find the spot that's right for them because of how much we've gotten out of it. And saying charge into the night is kind of like, go ahead and navigate to where might be a good spot for you. I know you've played games at board game shops in the past, having played magic with lots of different strangers. I know you played a lot online as well. Like there's a lot of different avenues for you to find the right kind of mix. It might be going to cons and meetups. It might be going to your local game store. It might be just with the friends you already have. It may only be online but there's so many different ways to get into this hobby that we find so rewarding. That's Let's get it. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> It'll. I don't know why I was like, we'll finish this out. Better rally the troops for the oncoming. I you think know, it's just <laughs> your default. Like, uh, well, now it's it is in fact time to charge onto the horizon. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for listening to episode 75. Be sure to subscribe to know when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Variant Hex. We have a website and a blog at VariantHex.com. And you can email us at podcast at VariantHex.com. We're just now closing in on business as usual after a bit of a Gen Con hangover. We finally played all the games we got and we're getting back into a more typical recording schedule with this series. We're still improving on our tech, admin, and workflows, but it's slow going because, quite frankly, we'd rather play board games than do any of that. The next episode will be the next in the Gatecrasher series about discovering new board games. We'll gloss over a variety of options such as board game geek, content creators, and playing games for free or little money. If you're listening to these in reverse, you have 74 more episodes headed your way. The next one being Aaron and I chatting about the games we played in September 2022. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Bye.